Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education com- community and beyond on important educational issues of the day a conversation that brings state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I'll be your host this morning. Today we will be taking callers live and also have the chat room open. I think this gives you two vehicles in which to participate in the show if you wish. Christy Ty will be taking the calls this morning. Christy, can you please explain the process? I would love to. Good morning, Ray. Now, if you want to call in, dial 1-347-989-989. 8904. Again, 1347 989 And when you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your phone. That will indicate on my switchboard that you would like to say something. I'll get your name and your question or topic, and we'll put you live on the air. Now remember, if you're just on the phone line, just turn down the volume on your computer because there is a delay and it does get confusing. If you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We will be monitoring the chat room, and we will pass on some of the comments or questions to our speakers. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. Last week, my guest was New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. The governor laid out his education reform agenda before us when he talked. Most of it was uh, not completely new information, but there were some new information that we got gathered from the the governor in the area of uh, charter schools and also in the area of a new school funding formula. It seems apparent that there will be changes in how we deliver education in New Jersey, even if Governor uh, only gets half of what he's looking for. I knew that after the, having Governor Chris Christie on the show, I'd have to follow that with someone with a following just as large, and I believe I found the right man. So I'm pleased to welcome NJSBA President Ray Wiss. Welcome, Ray. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Very good. Um, before we go into the discussion of some of the legislative issues, uh, that school board members and school districts will be facing this year. What do you see as this year's challenge for school boards? I, I think the uh, the main challenge is going to be a variation on a traditional theme, Ray, um, really showing in an objectifiable way that boards are directing their efforts towards student growth and learning. Uh, we know that historically New Jersey has been in the forefront uh, on academic attainment and achievement, uh, but what we're confronting now is uh, potentially new and higher standards by way of the development of the national core standards. Uh, and I think that that will be a challenge, that uh, we will have to not only meet these challenges, uh, but obviously there is a, uh, a higher emphasis being placed on objectifying results and having demonstrable growth in student achievement. So I think that that's going to be a major issue and a major challenge, and of course, it takes place at a time where our districts are already under significant stress and constraints in terms of available finances. Uh, so we have a little bit of a, uh, a pendulum swing in terms of uh, uh, opposite forces, uh, less resources to dedicate uh, to student achievement and a need to advance and improve on uh, academic attainment. So I think that that's going to be a major challenge, but as I say, it's not an unfamiliar one for school board members. Okay, as I travel around the state and the county meetings and uh, county school board association meetings and some of NJSBA's other training events, I have uh, found that the other issue that seems to have come up is the anti-bullying 
Bill of Rights and the board member's role and the it's a new legislation. Have you heard the same thing from some of the members? Yeah, it's it's a good observation, Ray. I, I will tell you that both at my local board, uh in meetings that I've attended within the county and most recently when I was with representatives of uh uh, the superintendents, the building principals, the PTA, and the business administrators, the buzz from everyone was uh, the significant effort that is underway to comply with the legislation. I think obviously everyone is in agreement that the purpose of the legislation is very, very well intended to avoid harassment and bullying uh, for our students, and I think New Jersey clearly in adopting the legislation is in the forefront on this score. Um, but obviously uh, the legislation was adopted within the framework that it was not supposed to increase the administrative time and the necessity of dedicating time and resources to compliance. I think that that is likely not going to be the case, that in fact there will be a lot of effort to be made within our districts to comply with it, and I think that there's going to be a very, very steep learning curve uh, on the part of board members and on the part of administration and teachers uh, to comply with the law. Uh, so, so I think you're right that this is certainly something that everyone is striving to educate themselves on. I know that we've been very, very aggressive as an association in terms of offering programs to help our membership uh, be aware of the requirements of the law and to help uh, to, uh, to comply with the same uh, and, I, and I think that both in our orientation programs and in the uh, Governance 4 training, there are now uh, components or modules that deal with compliance with the law. So I certainly invite all of our members to take advantage, and, and part of that, of course, is, is part of mandatory training, so uh, they will be exposed to it. But I think that there is going to be a shakeout period, if you will, where people are going to have to learn what the law provides and then learn how to best implement compliance with the law. Yeah, I'll add one uh, thing. I know that, uh, speaking on behalf of the association, we're also, besides Governance 1 and 4, we're out putting out some regional programs, dealing with the county meetings in a comprehensive way because the members really want to learn this issue. And also we'll probably have some online opportunities, and I wouldn't be surprised if I'll have another show dedicated just to HIB. Uh, the, it is an important issue for them to, to work on this year. Yeah, and, and I know when you and I have you and I have been in attendance at some programs uh, at various counties um, where uh, at least a, an introduction to the law and some overview has been offered, and, and I think we're going to have to continue those programs and, and perhaps even expand them. Yes, uh, we could spend two hours on uh, anti-bullying, but like we told tell the listeners, there'll be other opportunities for that. Uh, Ray, you heard Governor Christie on the show last week. What in particular stood out during the interview for you? Well, I, I think the, the issue that jumped off the page for all of us um, was the governor's comments on uh, on charter schools. Uh, it, it's a very, very complex issue. I think that um, the uh, legislature and the governor are grappling with it. Uh, we're dealing with it as an association. I think the districts, as well as the, the general constituency in the state, uh, are uh, assessing this issue and weighing in. I would commend the governor for offering a much more balanced approach uh, in his conversation with you last week. Uh, you know, it's, it's an issue where I think that there are proponents and there are detractors and there is reasoned opinion on both sides of the ledger. Uh, obviously, we want to give our students 
particularly those in districts who may not be attaining uh, to the highest levels. We want to give the students the opportunity to have the, the best educational advantages, the best educational opportunities that are possible. Uh, I think that there are instances in which charter schools afford that opportunity. Uh, on the other hand, that's very different than those who uh, espouse that charter schools are a panacea. I don't think they are. I think statistically we've seen uh, that there are those charter schools that have succeeded admirably, and there are those charter schools that have, uh, have failed. Uh, so it, it's a very, very, I think, delicate uh, issue. There is not a singular approach that um, uh, I think has yet been espoused that uh, we can all uh, gravitate toward, uh, but I do think that uh, this issue going forward is going to be very, very important, uh, but I think that it cannot be viewed in isolation. It has to be viewed in the context of overall improvement of public schools, because after all, charter schools uh, under prevailing legislation are a public school vehicle. So that was, you know, I, I think, Ray, uh, an issue that is certainly topical in educational circles, uh, but I, I welcomed, you know, hearing from the governor on that issue. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, my ears pricked up at that same remark that he, he nuanced his position on charter schools, and, um, I think the other issue, and I'll, I'll like to deal with it later because I want to switch issues. Was uh, he did mention the school funding formula in my? So I think that's something that we'll uh, uh, touch on. Um, in regard to charter schools, one of the other things that the governor did push, and one that NJSBA opposes, uh, was the idea of opportunity scholarship grants. Can you explain the, the association's position on that? Yeah, we have uh, been vocal in our opposition to the Opportunity Scholarship Act uh, for, for a few reasons. Uh, conceptually, I, I should probably indicate that uh, uh, the overview on, on that particular uh, act is that corporations would be provided with a tax break uh, for contributions to a scholarship fund that would be administered by the Treasury Department uh, and there would be a limited number of, of districts that could apply for those scholarships, uh, and that those scholarships or the monies from those scholarships could be used at either a private or a public school. Uh, and I think it's that aspect that it is really using public funds to potentially fund education at private schools that is viewed as problematic by the association. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that, uh, to, to put a name on it, it becomes uh, potentially a backdoor to a voucher system. And, and any diversion of public funds, particularly as you and I talked about before, particularly at a time where our districts are under such stress economically, where we've seen cutbacks in available funds, where districts are coping with uh, less resources and being required to deliver enhanced educational programs and to demonstrate student achievement, uh, if there is a diversion of public funds uh, under the Opportunity Scholarship Act to private schools, uh, we don't view that as sound fiscal policy, and that's why we've been against the act and against even the limited pilot program. Uh, we're speaking with Ray Wiss, President of the New Jersey School Board Association. If you want to call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. And if you want to ask a question or have a comment, just press 1, and our switchboard operator, uh, Christy, will uh, gather that information. We do have a caller uh, with a question, and uh, well, she doesn't need any introduction to me, 
and neither to you, Ray. Uh, it's Cassie. Hi. Hi, Cassie. Morning. Do you have a question? Hi. Good morning. Um, there are, you have top, two great topics here, but uh, I want to talk about the charter school. And um, basically, I want to talk about the now because I have a lot of history and you don't want to spend time on that. Right now, one of the problems with charter schools is the Department of Education, and I think it's forced by the governor, and you could clarify this for me, is they actually have a volunteer group of people whom we do not know, we don't have any background on that, who choose whether a charter application will go or not go for. Now, I've been looking at charter schools since 1992, and so I can give you long history. But basically, to not know who the volunteers are, how they choose these schools, and according to the applications, is a mystery to us. And yet, you've just named two big issues that are fostering the funding for that that we are not getting, and that is that they are they're fostering for maximum amount of money per, per pupil per, in every one of the schools, and they are also asking and getting funding from private sources. Now, I don't know who the volunteers are, but there seems to me to be a gray area there for us. And I was wondering if there's any way we as a, a, a public, and I mean that as the public as well as board members, could have another look at that situation and if the governor would address that for us so that we could make that not such a mystery or an uncovered, because it certainly isn't transparent. Do you know anything okay, about that? Cassie. Uh, Cassie, you bring up a good point on the, the monitoring and startup. Uh, of charter schools. Ray, do you have any comments yeah, on, I, on that? Yeah, Ray, there, I think there are several good points that Kathy uh, raises, uh, and, and it is important, I think, uh, both at a constituency level, that is at a, at a grassroots taxpayer parental level, and also for us as an association to continue our efforts to secure input uh, both uh, through the governor's office and, and also through Commissioner Cerf on this issue, uh, I, I hear at least three different points to, uh, to what Kathy has raised, uh, you know, each of which bears some scrutiny. One is that when it comes to the manner in which charter schools are chartered or authorized, um, I think that we have been concerned about the fact that there is not enough local input into that decision-making process. So I think it is somewhat less than transparent, uh, and that process certainly needs to be improved because uh, uh, there are very often uh, other educational groups that may be behind this. Some may be by local initiative, but I think that the association has already taken the position uh, that there should be local input uh, in terms of whether a charter school is needed and should be authorized. So that, that is one important issue. The second one uh, probably goes to the ongoing dialogue of whether charter schools are successful or not successful uh, or represent a viable educational alternative, and that is are the standards that are being used to compare charter school success to public school success the same? Uh, and, and that covers not only educational considerations but also covers the, the third aspect of this, and that is uh, the funding, uh, because the charter schools can be funded by a hybrid of public dollars and also by private resources. Uh, so when you then make a comparison to the success of a charter school with a public school, uh, but you're not comparing apples to apples when it comes to funding and available resources, 
and you're not using the same educational standards, then perhaps that comparison is very, very unfair and mischaracterizes the dialogue. Uh, and, and I've already addressed, you know, more fully the third point, which is the utilization of public dollars, you know, at all um, through some of these instances, such as the Opportunity Scholarship Act. So I think that there's there's a very, very uh, – uh, let's say there's multiple issues raised in Kathy's question, each of which bear, you know, scrutiny and input by the association and also by the public at large. Kathy, I'll add uh, – I'm going to put you on hold, but you can still listen. If you have another question later on, just press one twice and we'll get it. Um, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, You're Kathy, welcome. Thank you for your answers. Okay. I, I would say, Kathy, also to that, uh, the governor's position seemed a little nuanced, and I think that was from the, the input that school districts and community groups have had to the situation. And so I think that is a reflection of what was going on. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit, uh, Ray, uh, because there are there's numerous other issues we can touch on. Um, governor Christie and some of the Democratic legislators are pushing teacher tenure reform, something that the School Board Association has been long advocating. Do you see this as their best opportunity for reform in this area? Yeah, this uh, this is a very topical area, and, and I would say again that uh, in all of the educational meetings that I've been attending uh, around the state, this is, is certainly part of the, the dialogue. Um, you know, there, there has been, uh, uh, obviously, the, the NJEA has weighed in on this issue, uh, and they have been vocal in their opposition to reform. Uh, on the other side of the ledger, I have had an opportunity uh, late last year to testify uh, before a, uh, a Senate committee uh, in, in advocating tenure reform. Uh, it's been an associational position for uh, more than three decades uh, that there should be tenure reform, and it looks like at this juncture we have a somewhat bipartisan effort between the governor's office and the legislature to address this. So, yes, Ray, I, I would view this as a best opportunity, and obviously uh, our position um, has been one of, uh, of renewable contracts rather than lifetime tenure. Uh, so hopefully with the ongoing legislative efforts, there will be some type of a, uh, a bipartisan effort to finally bring uh, you know, tenure reform to the forefront in New Jersey. Uh, we're talking with Ray Wiss, uh, President of the New Jersey School Board Association. Uh, if you're in the chat room uh, and you have a question, just type it in and we'll read it uh, on the air. And once again, if you want to call in and ask a question, one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and press 1 and that will indicate that you have a question or comment. Um, as a tenure reform, there's several proposals out there for uh, reforming uh, tenure. Uh, the one that seems to have uh, the most legs uh, is the one sponsored by Senator Teresa Ruiz, who's the chair of the Senate Education Committee. There is one clause in that bill, which I'm sure that you find a bit troubling. It gives the principal the right to hire a teacher without the recommendation of the superintendent or, or the approval there of the school board. Why is that a concern? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're being kind in, uh, in characterizing my sentiment on that as, as just uh, troubling. Uh, I, I, I think that we all recognize the importance of the role of a building principal. Uh, obviously, he or she is the uh, face of the school building, the school district, uh, interfaces with uh, the students, the teachers, perhaps the parents on a, on a daily basis. Uh, so, so the role uh, of the principal cannot be minimized, uh, but the notion 
of making the principal the single individual in charge of decisions such as hiring seems to under, undercut the notion of an effective management team. It would seem to me that under the existing structure that a superintendent in recommending someone for hiring by a district is going to seek the input of the principal, uh, is going to seek whatever other input within the building and within the district is appropriate, and is going to make a recommendation to the Board of Education, which obviously is the elected body for local governance, uh, is going to make a recommendation consistent with all of the variables um, that are appropriate. So it would not only be educational input from the management team, the educational community, but it would then be discussion with the board about uh, financial issues and repercussions of the hiring. So the, the singularity of this approach in, in giving all of that authority to a building principal is indeed somewhat troubling. Uh, and, I, and I would say that um, when we are now addressing other issues, um, such as not only tenure reform, which we discussed before, but also revising and revitalizing the evaluative process, that the notion of giving this um, very, very important task, the hiring decision, solely to the principal, uh, is a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, I, I would think most board members would agree with that. And uh, But I have to say, Senator Ruiz, who's met with uh, Mike Rancic and other members of our governmental relations staff, is open to revising this bill. So if board members feel there's an opportunity, want to communicate their concerns on this, I would com communicate them to the Senate ed Education Committee. Uh, yeah, you touched I, on one of And Ray, just let me, let me say, I know that, uh, you know, um, Mike and the Senator have had a dialogue on that, and, and the fact that she is open to hearing from the association and to uh, at least assessing our vantage point, um, you know, she should be commended for. But I think it is also uh, noteworthy for our members to uh, to know that uh, we remain very, very committed to the advocacy process. And when people like Mike or other members of staff have an opportunity to articulate our viewpoint on very, very important issues, uh, our members should know that that's exactly what's being done. Yeah, I, I would like them to actually join in that effort, too, on their own. Um, you know, going hand-in-hand hand with the tenure reform is the way we evaluate teachers. Uh, you can't really have one without the other. Uh, we, most board members support the concept of changing the way we evaluate teachers, and, and if, if they do support the reform, what are some of the concerns we have in that area? Well, um uh, s some good news first that I, I can announce is that our executive director, Marie Billick, uh, was recently named to the advisory committee for Excellent Educators for New Jersey, uh, and that's the uh, pilot program that's being implemented by the state in, uh, I think it's 11 school districts and, and also you know several individual schools. Uh, it was part of a discussion that we had down in Trenton on Wednesday, and I think that the notion is that the pilot program is supposed to lead to the implementation of a new evaluation system in 2012. Uh, so again, here's an, uh, an indication of the association uh, being actively involved and having a seat at the table in um, 
some type of an initiative that will be very, very important ultimately to all of our school districts. So uh, Maria is to be commended, and, and obviously uh, I commend the state for selecting her because I think she'll be an excellent participant on behalf of the association and on behalf of public education in that effort. Uh, in terms, Ray, of, of your question, um, you know, obviously this is a very, very uh, complex process devising a new evaluative mechanism, deciding what factors should be included in that mechanism, talking about how those factors and the outcomes bear on student achievement, uh, how the results, that is the student achievement results and the uh, evaluative performance of the teachers bear on uh, possible tenure reform and bear on seniority reform. Uh, so it's not a, a just a simple issue of developing a modified evaluation instrument. We are talking about a wholesale change in the manner of evaluation, and that wholesale change bears upon other I issues that are now in the forefront in public education. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what, what do you think is really the concern if if you're implementing a new program, is it um, the ability, uh, how do you judge, they're tying teacher evaluations to, or trying to t t tie teacher evaluations to student outcomes. Um, yeah, and, is that going to be a difficult process, or it may take longer to implement than uh, many think? Well, I, I will tell you that at a, at a meeting that I attended Wednesday, there, there was a major concern uh, with respect to the temporal aspect of this uh, of this system, that is, even with the pilots um, commencing, is it realistic that a new evaluation system, with all of its tangents and interrelated issues, can really be devised and implemented successfully in the next school year? And and I think that part of the concern over how much time the development of a viable system would take relates to what elements are going to be the hallmarks or the keys of this new system? Now, obviously, the, the one major concern is the reliance to be placed on standardized test scores, and, and I guess a concern that uh, if someone knows that their compensation, their job is dependent on outcomes that are tied to standardized testing, will there be too much of a focus on standardized testing. Uh, relatedly, is standardized testing in all instances the best evaluative tool for student achievement and student attainment and student advancement? Uh, and, and I think that the professional educators are all trying to weigh in on that point. Uh, of course, having objective barometers is very, very important. Uh, the question is how much of a role should those objective barometers in the form of standardized tests play in this decision making process so that's uh you know that's going to be very very uh important going forward and also i would say a a related issue is what about the individualized goals of local school districts uh which obviously can can vary from community to community how do you provide for adequate input within this structure for the goals of a local school district uh, and, and how will that bear upon the evaluative process. So 
very, very, as I said before, very, very complex issue that I know all aspects of the educational community are now weighing in on, and I'm very, very pleased, as I mentioned before, that we will be right at the table through Marie in uh, addressing and assessing this issue. Uh, yeah, and for the listeners, uh, we're talking to Ray Wiss, President of the New Jersey School Board Association. Dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four if you have a question, and then press one, and now we'll let our switchboard operator Christy know that uh, you want to speak to one of us. Um, and Ray, can I just add, Ray, can yeah. I just add for you know for anyone who who happens to listen to this uh, not live but after the fact, I mean, fee please feel free uh, either to me uh, or to Ray, and, I, and I'm sure you agree with this, to follow up with uh, you know any any comments or any input on the issues that are addressed. Uh, I know that sometimes uh, the middle of the day is, is not the easiest for all people to hear the conversation live, uh, but we certainly are encouraging and welcoming input on any of these issues and certainly any suggestions as to uh, either positions or advocacy on the issues we're discussing. Oh, yes, yes. And I, I, I have heard from the listeners. Um, I want to go back to an issue that's going to be thorny, but it, it, I know the governor did mention it uh, when, we, when he spoke to me. Um, and that was he was going to have the acting commissioner, uh, SERP, uh, explore the, introducing a new school funding formula, uh, which I think would affect every single school district in the state, and everyone would be concerned about that. Uh, do you have any uh, thoughts from the association's point of view on that one? Well, you're, you're right. Uh, the governor mentioned it, and it is a potentially monumental issue um, that will shape the landscape of public education going forward. Uh, you know, we, we constantly talk about available resources, but if the uh, funding formula is modified, it can potentially have uh, you know, major repercussions in the way we are able to conduct uh, available resources. Uh, now, we know that New Jersey has a history of over-reliance on property taxes. A, a question to, to be asked is, Will the new funding formula, apart from uh, attempting to provide for an adequate and equitable distribution of state aid, will the new funding formula uh, address over-reliance on property taxes? Uh, if so, then potentially you are talking about full-fledged uh, tax reform in New Jersey. Uh, but as it, as it goes to the educational component, obviously we all would wait with uh, bated breath to see what the committed resources would be, how they would be raised, and then how they would be allocated uh, among the districts across the state. Yeah, and, and for the listeners, just to let you know, uh, I will probably be having a show on school funding sometime in December or January, and the expectation that if the governor does move forward with the new proposal, it'll probably be in the new in 2012 in January, February, sometime in that time frame. But I think it's good to start the conversation now. Yeah, and, and obviously the the uh, other corollary that, that's looming in the background is that if in fact a comprehensive uh, new formula is is advocated and offered, um, inevitably you will have the resultant litigation uh, as different groups that are either benefited or not benefited, uh, you know, weigh in through the court system on whether the constitutional mandate is being met. Okay. Uh I'm switching topics because one of our chat room listeners did, but it's a, it's a good issue for us to uh, deal with. Jerry uh, had a concern about the pilot schools. He feels they were handpicked for success. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the pilot school districts? 
Well, uh, you know, I, I don't know to be specific how they were picked. Um, I, I think that we have to, in the first instance, at least presume, and, and that's not to say that uh, we shouldn't be circumspect and have our reservations as we assess the outcomes, but I, have, I think we have to presume good faith in the process. Uh, as I said before, at least we have an insider to the process who will be able to view what's done going forward. Uh, and, and one would hope that the districts are successful, uh, but I hope that they're not successful because they were handpicked for that very purpose. Uh, so all I can say is that we have to let the process go forward because, indeed, that's what's going to happen, uh, and then be vigilant in our assessment of the outcome uh, to see where things go. Uh, but, you know, I, I recognize the concern. Uh, I think we just have to abide the outcome. Yes. You know, um, also to Jerry's point, uh, first of all, if you go to workshop, uh, one of the superintendents from those districts will be on a panel discussion on Wednesday, and he will explain why he applied for to be a pilot district. I do know from my conversations with some board members and other administrators, a lot of other districts explore the idea. They were more concerned with the cost of, of implementing some of the new programs. Uh, my understanding from the one superintendent I talked to, they're really looking at exploring a new way to evaluate teachers. Uh, and this was their opportunity to explore that without uh, and get some grant money. Yeah, and, and, and maybe um, it would be helpful, and I, and I think that this is going on at uh, an upcoming meeting in, in Bergen County. I believe that an invite is being extended to uh, the Bergenfield School District, which is one of the pilot districts, to uh, uh, attend a county meeting and to address uh, the program. Maybe that type of an initiative, if it happens uh, at county meetings across the state, will lend a little more credence to uh, the uh, the process and will also perhaps answer the question of, you know, why these districts and how is the process moving forward. Yes, and if you, uh, I think that's one of the benefits of going to the county meetings and having those con firsthand conversations with the participants in that. Uh, we have another caller. Uh, David, uh, from Morris County, I, I'm, I'm assuming, right, Dave? Uh, yes, yes, Ray. Hey, how you doing? I want you to give Ray your the other Ray a question. Forty sure. Good morning, Ray. Um, first of all, I think a lot of the things that are going on in the state are great. Uh, it's always good to shake things up, take a look at things uh, moving forward. My concern, uh, particularly in Morris County, is we're a district that has really been shut off from uh, – um, the, the state aid. We got a little bit back this year, but it's put tremendous pressure. And uh, the message we're telling our uh, constituents is that, you know, if things stay the same, we'll be looking at having to do just what we did last year, and that is cut more meat off the bone in order to stay within the 2% cap. My concern is that there are things that are out of our control. One of the big items is uh, special ed. And I'm looking to see what traction there can be for having that expense and, 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 for example, the HIV initiative, those expenses being removed from the cap. Well, Ray, uh, yes. yeah, a couple, a couple points uh, you raise is, is, you know, obviously there are uh, significant elements in, in what you characterized as a shakeup that have been very, very good for us as local school districts, particularly at the bargaining table. So, yes. There have been some net positives that I think uh, 
um, may not make our job easier, but are at least tools that we will have at the bargaining table. So, so all of that is good. Um, with respect to uh, the funding issue that you raised, um, I think it is going to be, I mean, it has been in recent years and will continue to be in the near future a major problem. Uh, many districts, uh, particularly in the northern part of the state, like, like yours, um, became uh, uh, the victims of uh, uh, an absence of state funding and then, of course, last year got a little bit back. Uh, but when confronted with the 2% hard cap, uh, and you know, dealing with uh, salary guides and dealing with health care costs, and people can pick numbers between 10 and 20 percent as the anticipated uh, premium increase going forward on health care. Um, I think we are going to continue to be under significant financial pressure, and, and we did address this a little bit in some earlier comments. We are being asked to do more with not even the same amount of money, but with less. Uh, and, and your point about special education is well taken. I know that when we were down in Washington last February at FRN, um, obviously federal funding um, would help offset the cost of special education, and the federal government certainly isn't living up to full funding on its end, uh, and, and it hasn't forever. Uh, and that is not likely to change given what's going on in Washington. The state... Um, given the financial distress that it seems to be in, is unlikely, I think, to offer any significant additional funding, if any funding at all. Um, and I understand, Ray. Um, I think what we're looking for is, is some, some control over our own destiny. For example, if we can remove the special ed uh, budget item from the 2% cap, uh, and, and we as a district can vote uh, to approve, uh, but by forcing it into the cap, I mean, we we get stuck with people moving into the district, and it's not just not, not, not just here in Morris County. So if people move into the district, all of a sudden we have an unfunded uh, exposure uh, that we can't deal with except by pulling other resources away uh, that are already targeted. And, and what what happens is you then wind up having, uh, unfortunately, competition between your, I'll say, mainstream programs and your special education programs, uh, and you're mandated to provide your special education, and you're therefore forced to cut other exactly. programs that may be the hallmark of your district. If you can yep. remove it from the cap, we can still we can still fund the special ed because we have to, but it, it, it provides the relief. Uh, that we need to meet the needs of most of our students. Now, my David, I would, I, can I just right. interject one? Uh, that, uh, an exemption for special ed when they first did the two percent cap was promoted by some of the legislators, but it was not. It was rejected by the administration at the time. So uh, it's going to be a long haul to get that exemption, uh, and hopefully, if we get increased, to me, the caps don't work as well unless you have increased state aid because that keeps you able to work within it. If you have flat state aid in the 2% cap, it's difficult to work. I think right. that's just something we have to focus our advocacy efforts on uh, because there was sentiment, there was understanding from a lot of the legislators on that. We're just going to have to push that one harder this year. because. And, and I think, Ray, in actually in some of the bills that were initially introduced, that would have been an exception. Special education would have been an exception to cap. Um, that was ultimately rejected 
in the legislation as adopted. Uh, but I think that if you uh, were to assess the sentiment of school board members, uh, they would be 100% behind what David just uh, you know indicated. Uh, and, and, and part of what concerns me is that although we need to do more to, to provide those services in the district, um, my, I'm afraid the pendulum will move the other way. Where you know we are now pulling students back in that shouldn't be pulled in, right? Whose uh, needs are best met in these special ed schools, but now the budgets are, are really uh, telling us what we need to do, and it may not be in their best interest. Well, and the uh, other uh, they, uh, the other aspect of your question on on HIB, I will tell you that because it was such a topical issue that there was a discussion on Wednesday between our association and the Business Administrators Association about conducting a poll or a survey to assess the additional costs that districts are incurring on compliance with this law. Uh, because as I mentioned before, it was adopted with the notion that we are not supposed to incur any additional costs. It is likely turning out to be an unfunded mandate. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, Ray, what you're suggesting, if I heard you correctly, is that districts probably should be documenting the costs associated with HIV. Like I was talking to someone, and I, I, I would have guessed that there's going to be more calls to your school board attorney quickly on a, many of these incidents. So documenting the costs associated with this, mm -hmm. and then maybe a year from now bringing it to the legislator's attention. Well, yeah, yes, I, a perfect I, example is we've hired, uh, we've gone out and secured the services of, of legal representation that specializes in the special ed and, and the HIB. I, I mean, because we're we're dealing with uh, with all of these things, which, quite frankly, um, we need expertise in. Right, and, and those, there's the those are additional costs. Right. Ray, I'll right. let you answer this question, Dave. I'm going to put you on hold. Yep. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, uh, I, I any think, final comments? I have one more quick question, too. Sure. I think those uh, those thoughts are, are well taken, and, and they're a further indication that there are times when, unfortunately, and it, and it may be testament to the prevailing climate, um, a lot of decisions are being economically based and not educationally based in the first instance. That is very inconsistent with our collective desire to advance student achievement. Uh, I, I think we should be aspiring for the best, and we should be working cooperatively to find the best funding mechanisms to make sure that the best educational environment and outcomes are available for our students. Okay, I have one last quick question, and I'm going to ask her to do it very quick. Cassie, you have to ask oh, this question very quick. I, I, I only have two on. minutes okay. left. It is. It's okay. It's very fast. We're talking about fund, funding reform as well as educational reform, and the one area that's never talked about, it's, it just gets the message of pay to play, but it is the entire athletic program. Would the governor be willing to set something up to connect the NJSIAA, who runs how we even run our school schedules, as well as our athletic schedules, to do something with us and an athletic program? Because a lot of money goes into it. I'm not knocking athletics at all. I'm talking about making it better so that it's more cost-effective because I do know that we need to continue the program because what's happening right now is okay, to foster Cassie, the high school program, Cassie, it's the middle school Cassie, program that's suffering. Cassie, Bye -bye. Cassie? I'm done. And I'll just add on that, uh, Ray, that, uh, to Kathy or, or anyone else who is uh, 
uh, desires to address that point. Uh, I, I've just uh, commenced serving on the, uh, the board of NJSIA as the representative of our association. Um, so if there are any specific suggestions that uh, anyone thinks that perhaps we could advance, uh, you know, I would be glad to, to entertain them and we can perhaps discuss them with the association and see if there's some commonality there. Now, I, I, we're coming to my last question. Uh, I said in the beginning, I, I think there's going to be change. Uh, what can board members do to understand and get stay informed on uh, the education issues and the change coming in about well, 40 seconds? Your, your question gives me a good opportunity to do a commercial. Obviously, uh, uh, attend Workshop 2011. Uh, as our board members know, we are, are back in Atlantic City. The offerings, the program offerings are, are widespread. Um, they are from educational leaders in, in all sectors, on all issues. I think it gives everyone an opportunity not only to, uh, uh, to learn from the best, but to interface with their colleagues from school boards across uh, the state. Uh, the commissioner will be there. Um, people will have an opportunity to hear what's okay, on his Ray. mind, and that will be helpful. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, Ray, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining me, Ray, and I look forward forward to our next meeting. I look forward to meeting everyone at workshop. And that brings us to the end of this episode. And thank you for joining us on Conversation on New Jersey Education.